Well, my grandfather could wiggle his ears. I'm serious. Do you know how to do this? I cannot do it. Every time I wiggle, try and wiggle my ears, I like wiggle my eyebrows or my nose or my cheeks. I cannot wiggle my ears. I have no idea how he did it. Now, supposedly 10% of the population can wiggle their ears. So if you can do this, I want to know. You need to email me or text me. Put it in the chat if you have this talent, apparently, that 10% of the population has. Now, I always remember, I was so impressed with this. It was so cool. Now, my grandpa died when I was in fifth grade, so I do not have a lot of memories of him, but I do have this memory of him wiggling his ears. And he used to do this when we used to sit around the table and play cards, because my family is a card-playing family. We love to play cards, and I remember learning this game with my grandparents called Oh Heck. Yes, I said it, oh heck. That's what my family called it, and I'm sure that was like the real legit name of that card game. Any families out there like to play games? Have you been playing a few more games maybe at your house than you even normally do because of COVID? I know that we have. We've kind of started playing more games. We have a family game night once a week. It's so fun. And here's one of our favorite games. This is Telestrations. Do you know this game? It's kind of like a max, a matchup of, or a mash, a mashup of Pictionary and Telephone. So the way that it works is everyone has like a little drawing board and you get a word and you draw it and then you pass it to the next person and they guess it. And then the next person looks at it and tries to figure out what it was. You know what? It might be easier if I just show you. So do you guys want to play a game with me with this? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. So here's if the first word that you got was freeway, and then there'd be a timer and you'd have to draw. So let's go ahead and pretend you're drawing the freeway. So our next slide has the freeway drawn. Okay, so then we're going to pass it to the next person, whoever you're sitting next to, and they would look at this drawing and make a guess. So um, let's say that you guess, go ahead, road. Okay, so then the next person gets road and they have to draw road. So they go ahead and do the next drawing and this is what they came up with road. So then the next person gets it and they look at this and they say, well, I think that looks like a truck. So then it gets passed to the next person and they have to draw that. So they end up drawing, well, there's your truck. Well, the next person guesses and they decide that looks like a wagon. Okay. You know, you never know how it's going to go. So then the next person draws well, that's their attempt at a wagon. The next person guesses, I think that was a baby stroller. So the next person gets it and they draw, well, a baby and a stroller. But by the time the next person gets it, they think, well, maybe that means take the baby for a walk. So then you go back and the first person gets it and you see, okay, it went all the way from freeway to the final guess is take the baby for a walk. So it's a hilarious fun game, but isn't this often how communication works? So today we are gonna be finishing up our super fun series that we have been doing. I said this and you heard that. And we've been focusing on the four temperaments that God has given us. And we've been looking at some of the people in the Bible who had this temperament. So let's go ahead and do a quick overview of the temperaments. So we looked at the first week at melancholies. They are analytical and creative. They tend to be perfectionists who are detailed and orderly, compassionate, and often artistic and or musical. Let's go ahead and look at the next one. And the next one is sanguines. These are magnetic, inspiring, encouraging people who are great storytellers who bring joy, laughter, and optimism to everything they do. Then last week, we looked at our phlegmatics who are easygoing, steady, 
steady, calm, and patient, loyal friends and good listeners who excel at leading people. And this week, we are going to be looking at the fourth one, clerics, who are responsible, decisive, and good at delegating, who are dynamic leaders who excel at managing tasks and projects. Now, their weaknesses is they can be argumentative, they can dominate and use harsh tones, and have a tendency to be bossy, impatient, and intolerant. But they are uniquely wired to be visionaries who can see and achieve goals. So we love our cholerics. Who's a choleric out there? Anyone? Raise your hand. Tell me. Let me know. I can see you. Um, Now, I'm kind of a a sanguine and a choleric. I've kind of got a a foot in both worlds. So I love and appreciate all our cholerics out there. Um, And we want all of our temperaments whichever one you are, to know that you have been wired by God. And here's the cool thing. For each of these temperaments, if you not only learn your own, which is usually what we kind of lean into our natural tendency to do, we want to better understand ourselves, nothing wrong with that. But if we're able to learn all four of these temperaments, it kind of gives us like a golden key so that we can better understand each other. It's like God is giving you a key to understand what motivates them and what they get passionate and excited about. And even some of their faults when they start getting tired or cranky, ways that we can feed into them, we can pour into them to try and help bring some some balance to them of the things that they really need in their personality. So we're focusing on this series. We're really focusing on communication. That's really kind of what the heartbeat of this is all about. And we do this because words don't carry equal weight for everybody right? I mean, I work out with a couple of friends three days a week. And so we watch a video and we're all doing some weights with our cardio. And we all are on different weight sets, depending on whether we're doing a two pounder, a three pounder, a five pounder, a 10 pounder. It has as different, different weight levels that we're at. And the same is true with words. Some people will hear words and it doesn't bother them that much. And other people, it feels like a ton of bricks just hit them. Let's look at Proverbs 15.4. Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It absolutely crushes you, and a lot of people are hurt by the words that we say, which is why we're taking some time to think about how to balance this. Now, it's kind of interesting to to know that people hear different things and, and think different things with different words. Let's just take the word respect. You might hear the word respect differently than how I hear the word respect. Now, I've got three pictures I want to show you. Let's look at the first one. If I said respect, what does this mean to you? Well, let's look at the second picture. Respect, what does this mean to you? And let's look at the third picture. Respect, what does this mean to you? So you can see in terms of context how word can be understood in different ways. So what I want to do is take a high-level view of what our innate needs are in each of these temperaments, which is, you know, what each temperament really needs to kind of feel like they are kind of stable and right where they need to be in order to function at a high level in life. So let's look at each of the temperaments. We'll look at the first one. 
melancholies and their need that they have is safety. They really need to feel that way. They need um, sensitivity. They need support. They need space. And what that looks like is being able to trust their surroundings and their relationship, being understood, being offered or provided help, and having time to decompress, process, or think. So something that we can say to our melancholy friends is, hey, you have a lot on your plate right now. So I took care of this for you. That's something that they could really appreciate. Okay, let's go ahead and look at sanguines. Now, sanguines, their need is for approval, acceptance, attention, and affection, which looks like they need to be liked for who they are without needing to change. They need to be invited and included, and they need to have your full focus, especially your eye contact. And they need to be noticed or acknowledged for what they've done. So what that, this might look like to say to a, to a sanguine is, come, it is better when you are here. All right, let's look at our phlegmatic friends. Their need is for harmony, feelings of worth, lack of stress, respect, which looks like everyone getting along or everything going smoothly, being valued for their unique strengths, an absence of conflict and combative words, and being asked for their thoughts or opinions. So something that we can say to our phlegmatic friends is, you always have a great perspective. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then let's look at our cholerics. Now, our cholerics have a sense for a need for loyalty, sense of control, appreciation, and credit for their work, which looks like being prioritized, knowing you had their back, everyone pulling their weight, following the plan, being valued for their unique strengths, and being valued for their contributions. So for a choleric, it really means a lot when you say something like, wow, you put a lot of time and effort into this. They can see that you appreciate what they're doing. So today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the choleric, our last one that we're going to do a little bit more of looking at who they are and what they look like. So let's take a look at choleric strengths. Now, choleric strengths, clerics are strong-willed people, and they make dynamic leaders. They're, they delegate well, they're responsible, decisive, energetic, adventurous, confident, persuasive, and bold. They can be resourceful, self-directed, disciplined, competitive, productive, driven, influential, practical, and they are good at correcting wrongs. Woohoo! Good job, Cholerics. You guys go. All right, well, let's look at the weaknesses. I know we've always got to look at the shadow side. So here's some of the, the weaknesses of Cholerics. Bossy, impatient, inflexible. They dominate. They can be headstrong, prideful, intolerant, nervy, selfish. They can be arrogant, aggressive, can't relax, rude, manipulative, demanding, unsympathetic, too independent, and workaholics. So with as all of our temperaments, cholerics have a lot of amazing strengths, but they're also weaknesses. And it really depends on if we are being able to provide our cholerics what they need to function on a high level. And if they are leaning into the spirit, that they are being led by the spirit to work out of their strengths rather than their weaknesses. Now, when you see those weaknesses up there, don't you just be like, I have all of those every week. I have all of those. I've been sitting there saying that. Well, we are going to dive into some people in the Bible that were cholerics. And so we can learn from them and see how God worked through them. So we're going to first enter into the story of a choleric temperament that we find in the Old Testament. 
she sat in the morning sun under a canopy of date palms. And the green palms contrasted so nicely with the bright orange dates that were ripening in the sun. She far preferred to be outside rather than cooped up indoors. And this is where she held her courts under the palms. People would come and ask questions and she would dispense her wisdom. And just as the palms turned their face upwards to God, that was her heart. That was her vision for the nation of Israel. Her eyes would look up towards the Judean mountains and she would call upon the name of the Lord to to bring help and to bring healing to her nation. You see, the people of Israel had been um, enslaved, had been under the rule for 20 years to a godless and cruel nation of Canaan. Now, Deborah was her name, and as a prophetess and a judge to the Hebrew nation, she would sometimes let her advisors know, as she did on this particular day, that she wanted to finish early so that she could spend some extra time with the Lord. And as she was praying and walking through those palms, the Lord suddenly spoke to Deborah and she knew it was time. She had been waiting. Her entire nation had been waiting. The people had finally started turning back to the Lord. And God had taken notice of that and he had spoken and she knew what must happen. She boldly affirmed what God had commanded and she summoned Barak, who was the commanding military leader of her people. She said, Barak, the Lord has spoken. It is time. Take 10,000 men and lead them up to Mount Tabor and I will take care of Sisera, who is the Canaanite military commanding officer and his 900 chariots towards leading them towards the Kishon River. And when you see them there, that is the sign that God has given us to attack. Well, Deborah had this great plan, but Barak, her military leader, just kind of tilted his head a little bit and said, um, we have not been able to defeat Canaan for 20 years. They are bigger than us and they outgun us. How the heck are we going to do this? It sounds a little crazy. But Barak knew that the Lord seemed to speak to Deborah. And so as he considered this, he knew that it was a crazy plan, but he thought maybe since the Lord is with Deborah, it could work. But he had a condition. He said this, Deborah, I will go only if you go with me. If you don't come, I'm not going. Mm, Yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit like a tantrum that your toddler or your teenager might have, but that's the way he put it. So Deborah, who is our choleric, was living out of her spirit-led strengths. And so she didn't slap him silly. Instead, she considered her words and wanted to get him on board. And so with a decisive and a bold leader's move, she said, Barack, I will go with you. He sighed with relief. They would have a chance. But she said this in Judges 4, 9. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. All right, so a military victory given to a woman pretty unusual in that day and age. Uh, Someone that would be celebrating and acknowledging that the victory belongs because of the actions of a woman. That was a new one. God was doing a new thing. 
Now, Barak, his name means lightning in Hebrew. And he was called to lead the, the Hebrew nation with a powerful strike against the darkness, the evil Canaanites. But he needed Deborah by his side to help activate him and get him going. So as she did this, Barak and 10,000 men and Deborah went up to Mount Tabor. The evil Sisera heard of the advance and he sent all of the troops, all 900 chariots to defend Canaan. The battle was furious and the Lord was with the Israelites and they were victorious. Now Sisera, he saw the defeat coming and instead of staying with his troops, he fled. He ran and he found a tent a little bit away from the battle scene, but he thought that this was friendly territory to the Canaanites. And so as he entered the tent, there was only the woman of the tent home. Her name was Jael. And she recognized him, but she did not let on. Instead, she welcomed him into the tent and she offered him some warm drink and a warm blanket. And I think... I think she might have been a choleric as well because as Sisera began to doze and fall asleep from the warm environment and the exhaustion of battle, Jael was ready to right some wrongs. She, with decisive action, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and she drove the tent peg through his skull and killed him on the spot. And just then, Barak came by looking for Sisera and Jael opened her tent and said with a satisfaction, smirk. Is this the snake that you're looking for? Barak just looked at her in shock. What in the world? This woman had killed this military commander. Barak shouted with a cry of victory. Maybe even forgetting himself, he picked up JL and spun her around the tent. So excited. Sisera was dead. On to the king. And he took off. And with the Lord at his, with, that had his back, they went in and got the king. And they took him out. And victory belonged to the Hebrew people. They had won. Israel had won at the hands of a woman. Now, Judges 5.31 says, So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then the land had peace for 40 years. So from 20 years of being under Canaanite rule, they now had peace for 40 years because of the decisive actions of Deborah and Jael. Do you think they were both cholerics? I kind of think they do. So here's what Deborah's story teaches us that we are to listen for God, that we are to listen to God, and we are to take action with God. Deborah listened for God's voice. She listened to God. She believed what he said, and then she was willing to take action. And that's something that, whether we're choleric or not, we all can do when God calls us into action. Now, isn't it fun when you start to see some of these temperaments come forth in the Bible? I want to do one more. Let's look at a story, this time in the New Testament, and it's in Acts 22. And it's about Paul. Now, Paul was one of the main writers of the Bible. When we're first introduced to Paul, he's one of the strongest persecutors of Christians. He was a Jewish leader who was not a part of the Jesus fan club. In fact, he didn't like Jesus at all. He didn't believe that he was the Messiah. He didn't believe he was the son of God. He didn't even believe that he was someone that should be listened to or followed. And because of that, he despised Jesus' followers. He did not like Christians. He did not like them so much that he made it his priority to persecute them, to persecute them unto death. 
He thought that they were wrong and he had bumper stickers on his car that told the whole world that he did not like Christians. He was willing to arrest them. He was willing to um, persecute them. He was willing to even see them killed. Now we have a story in scripture that talks about Paul standing smugly over Stephen. Stephen was a Jesus follower and Paul gave his agreement for Stephen to be stoned to death. He stood by and he watched that happen. Now Paul was no friend to Christians early on, but then everything changed. He did a complete 180 and he ended up becoming one of the most passionate advocates, the leader of the movement of the early church. He became Jesus' number one fan. Now, do you ever wonder how Paul ended up in this position? How did he get from point A from point B? Sometimes I think God must have been up in heaven looking down at the 12 disciples I'm thinking, man, I've got a whole lot of sanguines and melancholies and phlegmatics down there. And we're just not getting going the way that this early church movement needs to happen. And so I think we need to mix it up a little bit. Who could help them? Who could I pick? Who could I pick? Oh, I know that one. And when he pointed to Paul, can't you just imagine all of heaven saying, um, God, are you sure about that? He doesn't really play for our team. He doesn't like Christians. He does not like Jesus at all. And God was like, yep, I'm sure he's the one. You just watch and see what I can do. And even a powerful cleric like Paul can change when a powerful God comes and speaks to him. You see, Paul was standing on just a road, a regular road he was traveling. It was called the Damascus Road. And the heavens opened up and a bright light shone down on Paul. It blinded him and a voice came down from heaven, a voice that his companions could hear, but they could not even understand what was saying. And this is how Paul describes it in Acts 22, 6 through 11. He says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So Paul was taken into, the, into Damascus, and they went and saw um, the man that they had, that God told him to go see and Paul was given his sight back. Now his name is Saul here. That's his Hebrew name. Paul's his Greek name. So it's still the same guy. And Paul it began to experience the presence of Jesus in a very real way. Like Paul was converted. He was transformed. He was changed. He became a believer. It was so real for Paul. It changed everything for him. And I just love this story. I love both of these in the Old Testament and the New Testament about these powerful cholerics because it shows how God is so good and so gracious to speak to each one of us in a language that we best understood. I mean, God showed up in a 
powerful way to speak to a powerful choleric. And God is able to do that for all of our different personality types. He can speak to a sanguine in a sanguine way and a melancholy in a melancholy way and a phlegmatic in a phlegmatic way. But here today we see how God is able to speak to these cholerics. Now, God reached down from heaven and he opened Paul's heart and mind and his eyes. And Paul's choleric strengths become, became supercharged when he yielded them to God. And his weaknesses reminded him that he was dependent on God. Now, Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 18 through 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. So for those of us who believe, for those who are Jesus followers, that power is made accessible. It is made available. It is given to us. It is given to each of us as a follower of Jesus. And it is incomparable to any other power in this world. It is rare. It is precious. And it only comes from the God who revealed that power through the resurrection of Jesus. Now this scripture goes on to say, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It is the same power as the resurrection power that we saw when Jesus came out of that grave after three days of laying there. That same kind of power is available to believers to bring hope and healing and change and transform things in your life that need to be transformed. You see, Paul's story reminds us that we are not our past. We don't have to live in the past. Paul had a horrible past. He did not get stuck there. He claimed that power and he was able to move forward. Jesus makes change possible. He did that for Paul and he is able to do that for you today. Where do you need change in your life? You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. He's the only one that can bring that kind of change. And he does that through power. God gives us power to do hard things. And God wants to give you the power to do that hard thing that you know, you can feel it in your heart, in your spirit. You think about it in your mind, that thing that you need to change. Only Jesus can do that. And he can do it through the mighty power of God. Now, Paul, as a powerful cleric leading in his strengths, he was able to get more done than he would have been able to do on his own. I mean, clerics get some stuff done, but when you're doing that in the spirit, you get even more done. So let's look at some of the strength training for clerics. What are some things for all of us as clerics to practice? Well, we need to practice putting others first, verbalizing your appreciation for them. We need to greet others with a sincere smile and, and give them your full attention. We need to wait until you're asked before sharing your opinions. We need to listen all the way to the end, trying to understand, not just formulating your response. We need to make requests instead of issuing demands. And we need to say please. And we need to pause for a deep breath when you feel yourself getting angry and or loud. Just take that deep breath. <laughs> now, how should we communicate with cholerics? Now, I know you've probably got a choleric in your life, right? Do you have one? If you're not one, you probably know one. So what are some things that we can do? Well, avoid 
getting into too much detail with a choleric. Just give them the, the, the state, top of the point right off the bat. Okay, the next thing we want to do is state the facts and give some examples without jokes or sarcasms. They kind of just like to cut to the chase. All right, the next thing we can do is use kindness and encouragement. Now, clerics do not like to feel bullied. And so when you're kind and you're encouraging, then this is a way to really communicate well to them. The next thing we want to do is make it clear that you are on the choleric's side. You want to come alongside of them and work with them side by side. You don't want to at all pose any kind of opposition or being against them. And then you want to avoid the appearance of head-to-head -head combat or else the choleric will be tempted by nature to fight and defend. So you definitely want to be on their side. Now, isn't it amazing how our words make such a difference? Now, one of my favorite things about being a parent and having little kids is some of the words that they sometimes mispronounce. Some of the things that they say that they don't even know they said wrong. Now, my youngest has had a few good ones lately. Uh, we were just doing family devotions the other day, and it was talking about a vow to God. But she didn't really know what a vow to God was. But she's in first grade, and she knows what a vowel is. So when she read that, she said, I'll take a vowel from God. God cracked me up. I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, it's like the cosmic version of Wheel of Fortune. I'll take a vowel, God. Good thing God doesn't play games with us. He gives us the vowels and the consonants right when we need them. The other thing she did is she came in with her water bottle the other day. She'd been co collecting seawater. I don't know where she got it from a trip to the beach. And I mean, it's been around for a while. It was pretty nasty. And she came in and she said, hey mom, look, my seawater, it has allergies. Yeah, it has allergies and algae in growing in it, sweet one. Maybe my favorite one, and she hasn't done this for a while. This was more when she was little. Sometimes she couldn't remember the name of our church. So, you know, I always say, um, we're going to Purpose Church. We're going to Purpose Church. But she didn't always remember the name Purpose. And so sometimes she'd be in the back of the seat and she'd say, Mommy, are we going to Perfect Church? Oh, darling. Well, we have a pretty amazing church, but it's not perfect. But that's what she used to call it perfect church. But Purpose Church, I wanted to show you this picture because this was so great. This is our new wall that we've had up this year. And we really put this wall up so that it could be a wall that people come on down and take pictures by. And we've had a few different groups do this. And this is the Every Group. They're a real estate group here in Pomona. And this is part of their real estate team. And they came to do a, a purpose photo shot by it and posted it talking about how they have purpose in life. What a great thing and a great reminder with our name, Purpose Church. Well, misunderstandings with words are super cute when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, when you grow up, well, those misunderstandings aren't quite as cute, are they? Healthy, productive, Christ-honoring communication will always balance what needs to be said with how it is said. Just because we have to say something doesn't mean it's always right. We've got to balance it with how it is said. And the temperaments teach us different ways that that needs to be done. You see, the right thing said in the wrong way will always be received in a hurtful way. But you always have the ability to pause and choose how you will live today. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take this little exercise. I have a tendency to be blank, but I will choose to be blank. 
Okay. Every time you go to into a situation or have a conversation with someone, do that little check in your mind and your heart and your spirit. I know my tendency is to do this, but I am spirit filled with the Holy Spirit. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm going to yield my personality, my temperament to Jesus. And instead I will choose to be this instead. Let's look at each temperament and what this might look at like. For sanguines, they might say, hey, I have a tendency to interrupt, but I will choose to be a good listener. Cholerics might say, I have a tendency to be bossy, but I will choose to delegate well. Phlegmatics may say, I have a tendency to avoid responsibility, but I will choose to be cooperative. And melancholics may say, I have a tendency to be critical, but I will choose to be compassionate. You see, As you have opportunities to choose, you have things that you do and God has things that he will do. So what is the part that you play in making sure that your needs are met? Well, you choose your words, you choose your tone, and you choose your motivation. And what is God's part in meeting those needs? Well, God knows you and cares. He really does. Philippians 4:19 says, "And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus." He knows you, he cares, and he's going to show up for you. God will help you to prioritize. That's his job. He will convict you and help you to prioritize those needs. Matthew 6:8 says, "Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him." Your father knows he's going to help you prioritize. And then the third thing is that God gives you the power to change. God always gives you the opportunity to change. Ephesians 3, 20 tells us, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us immeasurably more. Oh, don't you love that phrase? When we yield to Jesus, he's able to do more than we can ever expect him to do. Now, recently, uh, we, my husband and I, we decided to have our house painted. Some people in the neighborhood were doing it. So the guy came by and gave us a great deal. And you know how that goes. So we painted our house white, igloo white, if you want to know, because there's a million whites. It's igloo white. And then our trim is an espresso trim. So, you know, we watched as the painters started to put the paint on it. And it started to transform from a kind of dingy looking house to this bright, beautiful white. And then we decided to add a pop of color to it. And I was just thinking about this temperament series and how we've been really trying to yield ourselves to Jesus to bring forth the strengths of our temperaments. And I was thinking, you know what? It's kind of like God has given us an opportunity to to paint fresh coat on us so that we can really be seen by the power of the Spirit. Well, this was our little surprise move that we decided to do to really pop that white and espresso. We decided to give ourselves a bright blue door. I know you're shocked if you know my personality, but This is something that is so cool when you see our house. It's just this bright little section that that is inviting. And I just feel like as you get to know your temperament, as you get to know the temperament of those around you, it's like you become that bright blue door, this bright shining spot that God is willing to use and do great things through and that people will notice that. People will see Jesus in you. God, as we finish this series, I just want to invite you to continue to do your work and show up in a mighty and powerful way in each of our lives, Lord. My brothers and sisters, my family, my friends, everybody here, Lord, as we are your people, we are the church, we are the body of Christ. And Jesus, I thank you that you've created us all so differently. 
I thank you for sanguines and for melancholics and phlegmatics and for cholerics, Lord. Together, we more fully represent the body of Christ. Together, we more fully represent you. Oh, Jesus, would you help us to yield our personality, all that we are, our temperaments to you so that we can be a bright beacon of hope and light to a watching world. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people prayed and said, amen.